Hello and welcome to episode 116 of The Winning Agenda. My name is Jesse Marshall and we have an extended panel with us tonight all the way from Huntsville, Alabama, the best dressed man in Netrunner, or the formerly most best dressed man in Netrunner, most best, anyway, Hollis Echo. How are you, Hollis? Uh, I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me again. I uh, I appreciate this. I feel like this is like uh, like the second time I've only been on the podcast, right? Like I've only I've only been on twice, so you know, it's a it's a new fresh thing. Sure. Fresh thing. And uh, and what are you wearing, Hollis? Uh, <laughs> oh, you can't just I... ask him that on I... on uh, on recording. Sorry? You can't just ask him that on recording. We'll, we'll have to wait I, until... I definitely can. It's like his, his main qualification for being here. We need to discuss his dress. Oh, my God. So, so currently I am wearing a, uh, a white dress shirt under a gray sweater uh, with uh, herringbone gray uh, tennis shoes and a dark wash of denim. Uh, that is my oh, current... Oh, uh, that's nice. Yeah, this was my current dress attire. That is nice. Yep. I like that, Hollis. Thank you for sharing. Right. I think that helps us and our listeners to visualize you in all your glory. Um, next tonight, we have a new panel member, uh, somebody who's been with the winning agenda for a while but hasn't actually been on the show, and that is Ricky Rivera, also known as Skaters for Sale, one of the mods of the Netrunner subreddit. How are you, Ricky? Hi, great. And you guys? Going well, going well. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how did you get involved in Netrunner, how long have you been playing, and, and what's what's it like moderating the subreddit? Absolutely. Uh, just really quick, so um, I've been playing since the pack that Jackson Howard came out, and uh, Hollis actually taught me how to play, and uh, it, it was kind of hard at, at first because he was winning all the tournaments, and I'm like, God, do I want to keep playing this game if Hollis is going to keep all taking all the prizes? So, <laughs> wait, you mean, you mean Jeff Hollis, right? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Winning uh, all the tournaments? Yeah. Or, or Hollis Echo? Yeah, Hollis Echo. Um, oh, so Ho- okay. Hollis and I actually live in the same city. Um, we're from the same meta and everything. And uh, uh, so he taught me how to play. And then uh, it's actually my first competitive or trading card game. Not trading card game, but living card game. And uh, as far as the subreddit goes, uh, it was kind of new at the time. It still had a bunch of moderators, but they weren't really active. So... Uh, I requested and see, hey, if you guys need any help, I'd be happy to assist. And uh, they said yes. So that was a whole maybe three years ago. Uh, since then, we've done a lot in the subreddit. And uh, I, I know I, in particular, implemented the the trading post. So if anybody mm. has uh, sent or accomplished any trades on there, uh, that's all me. We know who to thank. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, what have been some of the challenges of the subreddit? Have there been any particular episodes in Netrunner history that have caused you as moderators <laughs> any any angst or consternation? Um, uh, yeah, the short answer is yes. But uh, in general, the Netrunner community is fantastic. So anything that really comes up is just, you know, yeah. Nothing huge. <laughs> okay, but were there any any particular incidents or episodes that caused you particular grief? Uh, I hear there was this one user that showed up on this podcast one time where there was an article, something I don't know, something about bears, but <laughs> yeah, the, the famous scream bear. So um, yeah. Anyway, I, I think we'll leave it there because um, I, I'm sure Wilfie's staring at me angrily through his computer, and and that of course brings us to our last panel member tonight. The ever-present, lovable Byroid, Wilfred E. Horrig. How are you, Wilfie? Hi, things are pretty good. Um, 
We actually got to play some Netrunner. We went to a game night kit, Jesse. That was since the last time we recorded, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And how did we go? That was cool. Uh, we both walked away with sunnies, which was very lucky. Um, and not sunglasses. Oh, the no. Uh, the the identity, yeah. Sunny LeBeau. And it was actually funny because I was playing my sunny deck. So that mm. worked out very nicely. Um, and you really wanted one of those old heart sunnies. Yeah, I did. I, it was Possibly everything. the first promo that you really wanted. It's true. It's absolutely incredible, isn't it? Awesome. Hollis, you want come a... so far. Sorry, you go, Ricky. No problem. Uh, Hollis, you won a sunny last weekend. We played in a, uh, a onesies tournament. I don't know if you want to go into that, but... Uh... Ah. Oh, Hollis, please do. Yeah. What's, what's onesies yeah, like? I've never... Go? Well, so for those that aren't aware of like the way that that's uh, structured is the onesies tournament is, you know, or 1.1.1.1, you, you only get one core set, you choose one big box, you choose one data pack, and then you choose a single one card you can get up to three copies of. That single card can be a card that comes in like core that normally uh, doesn't already have three copies. And so um, the idea is that when you start limiting the, the card pool and the options available, You'll get some unique deck, uh, some uh, unique deck ideas, and and um, the ability to play with some cards you really don't, you really won't find yourself using uh, most often in standard constructed netrunner format. Um, and I actually found that the most the most fun part about it was the creative options for deck building. Um, but I will say that to some extent, because some options are limited, that means that the options that you're choosing tends tend to be incredibly strong, and there aren't there aren't as many uh, defenses. Um, I in particular chose the last pack of the last cycle because I would get both Cipher and Ermeron in the same pack. Which, of course, are <laughs> and basically... How did that work out for you? Uh, it worked out really well. It basically... Uh, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. <laughs> it worked out really well. It allowed me to survive against a Genteki personal evolution deck because as the small, tiny agendas were getting scored, I was basically ensuring that I would never actually get uh, killed by a large splash of damage. Um, and then on top of that, in general... Just, because you were able to just draw cards for free with Aaron Moran, is that right? Pretty much, yeah. And uh, mm. that basically... And, and the fact that it was actually in Kate, where I, where I had my levy available, so all the cards are going back, it meant that those sorts of strategies that were kind of based on kill were very difficult to actually accomplish. Um, because or, mm. or or anything based heavily on tags also was, was very difficult to accomplish. Uh, on the flip side, and what of, was your corp deck? My corp deck actually went old school uh, HB. I basically played an mm. HB fast advance deck. Um, with the big difference being my choice of my choice personal choice for the three X include was three San San. So in core you mm -hmm. only get the one. So I was like, okay, I'll just take my one single card. That'll be the San Sans, and now I have three San San City Grid in the deck. Um, along with three biotic labor, and so the deck would just you know just speed through, if possible. The ice was sort of uh, weak, obviously, because because I had to use things like Enigma and and <clears throat> and Victor One, which which I if I had seen more Yogg, it would have been really bad. But ultimately, just having things like Heimdall One, which is incredibly annoying to get through, um, having cards like Heimdall One in front of a Sand Sand, uh, and then you know placing other pieces of ice there. And just old school, just like, you know, forcing the runner to spend all their money to get rid of things is really interesting. Um, I also mm, read no Sounds Jackson. a lot like a deck that Wilfie played for about two years straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Also, so instead of three X of another card, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, sorry to cut you off there, but um, you chose three X Sansan and not three X of another yellow card. Right. Yeah. So no Jacksons. Um, I, yeah. How did that go? Uh, so at some point during uh, one of my games, I was flooded with three agendas, and in the game with Ricky, at some point during the game, I was flooded with an actual four to five agendas in hand. Um, and at that point, mm. I, ha- I had to just kind of uh, relax and try to keep my best poker face and just play as if everything was fine. You know that meme with like the, the house is on fire and the dog's like in it and he's like mm-hmm. melting? That was basically me. I was like, this is fine. This is this is no problem. Um, yeah, you, you yeah. fooled me. I, de- I definitely didn't run HQ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just, it really comes down to all things considered, I guess I was thinking about the deck is designed to score agendas from hand as fast as possible. So, you know, if I'm going to be that blitzy, roll the dice and just say, get the Bodic Labor, get the Sand Sand, and just score immediately and just keep that momentum going. And I don't have to worry so much about the agenda flood. Or if it does come, you know, then I, you know, I guess I just lose. But um, it was the first time, I will, actually, this is insane to me. It was the first time since Jackson has been out as a card that I have not played through Jackson. Actually, that's a lie. I think hmm. it may be one deck iteration. I played two, but it was the first time in X amount of years I have not had a single Jackson, which is nuts. I definitely played. Um, I definitely played August without Jackson, and it was awful. So I put them <laughs> back in. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, th- that sounds great, and congratulations on Thanks. getting your hands on a, a sunny promo. It's very pretty. If it's something, if it's a promo that Wolfie wants, then it must be a good promo. Just saying. <laughs> Um, Hollis, I will just say quickly, um, what was your, the other pack that you chose was the one with Project Vitruvius, I assume? Yeah, yes. No, it was Creation and Control and Quorum, he said. Oh, Quorum. Oh, I thought that was for your runner. Yeah. I'm so confused. You only get one for both sides, right? Oh. Yeah. Oh, that wasn't how how it works. Yeah, you get to choose the pack for each side. So the pack what? you're choosing for runner does not have to be the same pack you choose for corp. Like you get basically. Oh really? You get so you get two. Yeah. So it's but, actually twosies funsies. Yeah. Well, it's it's one it's one 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 for each side. So yeah, like yeah. You, oh okay. So you don't you don't share cards. Sorry, Wilfie, well, you were right. Um, and that's the reason. Okay. Yeah, that, that that's what ended up happening there. So you get what? Do you get two big boxes or? Well, you you basically yeah you effectively you do get two big boxes, and what you do is you consider. But one set you use only for corp, the other set you use only for runner. That's it. Right. Okay. And did you choose creation and control for both? Uh, I believe I did. Uh, I believe. That was the popular okay. choice. Yeah. It's because creation okay. and control generate has a lot of economy cards. Remember, creation and control gave you daily cast and dirty laundry. Dirty laundry. Yeah. Which, you know. And all the shaper, self-mod, clone chip. Yeah, yeah, and so when you when you start looking at like the lack of of economic options, um, for each of the factions, you know, especially on the runner side, um, creation and control seems like the right choice most of the time because of the neutral economic cards. Okay, interesting, and yeah. So to answer Wolfie's question, what was your corp pack? Uh, I honestly can't. I'm, I honestly cannot remember. Um, let's. I don't know. Uh, Let's say that it yeah, was I'll the one that had the trivia in it, because that would make the most sense. Yeah, yeah. if you were trying to fast advance. Yeah. I'm Excellent. pretty sure. I'm and, pretty sure uh, that that was it. Cool. 
Uh, I think we might need to get a wriggle on actually and get on to our main topic for today. Aside from that uh, very, very interesting detour into onesies, funsies territory, I've learned something today. I hope you all have too. Um, the, the, the main topic today though is in fact the second half of our Daedalus Complex pack review. Uh, so we are talking about the Corp cards today and the first Corp card in the pack is Next Wave 2. It's an agenda, Next. Advance for score two, so it's four for two. If there is a rest piece of next ice when you score next wave two, that shouldn't be too hard to do, you may do one brain damage. Hmm, that's a bit of a weird effect for an agenda. What are your thoughts, Wolfie? Well, I would just say that without repeating all the things that we say about agendas, especially ones with relatively difficult advancement to points, ratios that brain damage I think still and I'm not sure if this is really changing but it still has the mind space in the design team as being something that's really detrimental to the runner in the sense that we keep on seeing these single points of brain damage getting selected as being a huge payoff for your strategy when really it's only very, very beneficial if it's enabling uh, you to kill the runner in other ways. Like, for example, the second point of brain damage lets you scorch them, for example. And, like, this being an HB agenda, it seems really hard to make that sort of thing work. Like, um, cybernetics division, is that what the HB identity is called? The four hand size each, yeah. Yeah, um... Of course, you can think about playing this in a deck like that, but I think we've found that dealing repeated amounts of brain damage really isn't powerful enough to get you an advantage compared to how costly it is to do to the runner. And, I mean, even if we just ignore the next stipulation, because, yeah, as you said, Jesse, I think that's fairly easy, it's going to be hard to build a deck where this is going to be better than corporate sales team. And even advanced concept hopper, I think. Yeah. As a slightly worse yeah. corporate sales team. Yeah. Um, so if you looked at this then, Wilfie, rather than just directly comparing it to a more powerful agenda, if we say as a given that it is less powerful than corporate sales team, if we looked at it in a specific deck that you may be able to make in HB where you are doing multiple single points of brain damage with the objective of over the game dealing five to the runner. Um, does this enable that sort of deck to be played now? Are there enough single point of brain damage effects that are reliable enough? Well, I my argument is no. Like, Firstly, you need to deal six points of brain damage to the runner to actually kill them, which means landing either... You know, obviously scoring three copies of this four for two gets you halfway there, but isn't a very reliable game plan. And as I said, if they were corporate sales teams, I think you'd be further towards winning even in that sort of strategy. So I guess the point is that the for how costly it is to deal brain damage, it's not realistic to build a deck where the brain damage can accumulate in such a way that leads to an actual win condition without there being a win condition that's easier to accomplish even in the same strategy, like scoring to seven points. Yeah, I'd agree with that. 
Uh, and part of the reason that those other kill strategies are appealing is that they're usually two card combos and are able to be accomplished relatively easily. Whereas if this is a five or six card combo over the course of a game, that in and of itself is going to be less reliable. And if the, not only are you requiring more cards from your deck to be put towards that strategy, you're not guaranteeing yourself to see them. And if you have more different cards in your deck that are put towards a strategy that's not the core corp strategy of defending your servers and scoring points, then it makes your deck worse at combating the runner's game plan necessarily, which is not a great way to be heading either, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Anyone else have any thoughts on Next Wave 2? Uh, yeah. I'll jump okay. in here real quick. Um, so, I mean, just basically to agree that you have to compare four twos to each other, right? So you have like an APD and like you said, corporate, corporate sales team. And I think it's kind of odd that brain damage is something that it, it's weird. They slap brain damage on, on an agenda that's next specific when usually next dice don't really have anything to do with that or yeah i'm not i'm not entirely sure that next decks even care about you know the ice themselves or the the decks that play next ice not even sure there's builds out there that that you could build an hp deck with all next ice uh that happens to focus on on brain damage but i don't even know if this would be good in that said deck anyway yeah I think this card is simply meant like if you read the flavor. I hate to say this. If you read the flavor text of this card, I think it's meant to yeah, tell. Yeah, I was going to say on the flavor text, Hollis. <laughs> hang on, just on that. It feels like they're redefining what next is supposed to be because isn't yeah. next design guarding the net? Like it's supposed to be defensive. Yeah. And all the next ice are just sort of like creating a web of defense, whereas this seems to imply that it's some kind of weapon system. Yeah, like it. It seems like the the te- the flavor text on the card um, seems to sort of give us the warning that the next set of next ice will actually blow us away. Like, it feels like this card is, like, basically trying to say, like, trying to, like, this agenda is, like, a blank piece of parchment, and they're like, yo, guys, seriously, though, the next ones are going to be really good, though. The next next are going to be great. (laughs) So your your guess is that this is a precursor to a second wave of next ice? Yes, I think so. Because it's called next Next wave two, and what was next wave one? Yeah, okay. The ID. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, Wilfie, any thoughts on the flavor? <laughs> All right, we'll move on. Uh, the next card in the pack is Z2.0. It's a Sentry, Bioroid AP Destroyer. God, that's a lot of subtypes. We're getting back to itchy territory. It's six to res, strength four, three influence. It's got the 2.0 break ability. And it's got three subroutines, trash one hardware, trash one hardware, and if the runner has spent at least one click to break a subroutine during this run, do two brain damage. Wilfie, does this fit the bill for a more reliable way to do brain damage in HB? Well, it's definitely not reliable in the sense that the runner always, basically always, like unless they run into a biroid, have to break it using clicks and then choose to continue and then hit this and can't break it which is so absurdly unlikely to happen anyway like the runner always has mm-hmm. the choice about whether to let to choose to break earlier subroutines with clicks and let this fire or ignore the third subroutine and 
just spend credits or other resources using their icebreakers. And I think that's actually a fairly interesting um, ability to have, like a super-powered subroutine that the runner gets a bit more choice about whether to let fire or not. Um, Mm. So I think if the trash hardware is good, then this card's actually fairly powerful um, in the sense Mm. that if you think that trashing hardware is like a bit rarer but potentially more impactful than trashing a program um but it's not going to be useful as much of the time then this especially with uh Cipher running about so frequently nowadays this I think has the potential to be good but once again it sort of occupies the weird space of it does these sort of unconnected things it trashes the hardware which is good but what sort of hardware do you want to trash and then you have to play lots of biros presumably to make the third subroutine really good and ideally you want the runner to faceplant into it rather than resing it with architects of tomorrow to actually have the chance of dealing them the brain damage it makes it mm. seem like it's hard as with next wave 2 to build a brain damage payoff deck with this in it and if you're not building a brain damage payoff deck the brain damage is underwhelming it it also I think is a pretty good one of in most HB decks and could potentially be good as more than that. I think you've evaluated the trash one hardware pretty well, but I would say with a five cost console being probably the most common console now played, it probably is a bit better than it has been in the past. The the, the trash hardware subroutine, the fact that this card is designed so that. As a 2.0, you're always going to get off one of these subroutines if they can only use clicks to break. Um, and that the third subroutine is more powerful if they do use clicks to break the others means that the most common scenario is probably going to be that they break the first and third or the second and third and leave one of the trash hardwares. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not an insignificant effect, I don't think, for an ICE to tax two clicks and a hardware of your choice on res for six credits that's pretty decent and that if they hit it on their um third or fourth click that they also potentially take brain damage depending on the structure of the um the server two brain damage is a lot more significant than one brain damage and it's it could be something that you you're interested in your sentry doing to them as well as trashing hardware so uh, yeah in, in summary i think both of the subroutines all three of the subroutines are relevant the cost to strength ratio is decent the 2.0 ability is quite good and it also as opposed to z 1.0 which did nothing if it was on its own and that made it a lot worse this is good in as the innermost ice behind other bioroids in the same way z 1.0 was it's got better strength and better stats um, and it also does something on its own so I think the fact that it buffs Eli, it makes them pay credits for Eli instead of being able to click through it uh, if Eli is outside this in the server, um, as well as doing something on its own makes it worth consideration to play. Hollis or Ricky, any thoughts? Uh, agreed. I guess the only thing that I kind of uh, thought in particular about this is that uh, Marcus Batty splashes into HP a lot. You could uh, get rid of their cipher by trashing batty and doing one of these trash hardware it's not insignificant like you said other than that i think it's i think it's pretty good 
Uh, like, I completely agree with the fact that you have to, you're not going to double click through the first two and just leave the last one because it's going to hurt either way. Cool. Might move on to the next card. Mm -hmm. uh, Defense Construct. It's a two to res upgrade, zero to trash. It's another HB card, three influence. It can be advanced. You can trash it at instant speed to add one face down card from archives to HQ for each advancement token on Defense Construct. Use the ability only during a run on archives. Hollis, is this going to be something that you install Advance Advance on your archives early in the game, or you install Advance Advance on one of your centrals, or install on your central and then advance a bit later when you want to recur some cards from archives? How do you see this playing out? So the like, I think the issue is that well, this card has a couple of issues, but but one of them is that. It only adds like a face down card from archives to HQ, which is a very unique like mm. distinction. That means that, for example, if if I were to have if I have used a Botic Labor, if I have used or anything, it doesn't matter. If if ice is being destroyed or, or I've used a card like Botic Labor, I can't throw this card down, advance it, and just sort of invest into getting those cards back from my um, you know, from my discard pile back into my hand. Uh, sorry, I didn't use the thematic terms in this game. For this game, um, archives, yeah, archive. But but, and of course, I see there's an obvious benefit where maybe you could throw agendas from the discard pile from archives back into HQ. But this is incredibly problematic because there are not many cards. In fact, maybe, yeah, they're really there. This is the only card right now that I think you can install on a central and advance this way. And mm -hmm. I think that when you start going down a list of like, if I put this in archives, go install advanced events, you're going to start going through a list of cards in your head and you're going to go, wait, okay. I think I automatically know what that is. And I mean, I, let's, I mean, look at it further. If I install any card face down on a central and I go advanced events and I'm in HB, cause this is three influence. I'm not going to take it anywhere else. Um, you know, probably right. What this is, in which case you almost have a direct answer um, after I'm even able to try to recover. The moment I trigger this ability and I put, you know, cards from my, my heap, my discard pile, my archives, my god, guys, um, into my HQ, I automatically know, but the runner knows where to, where to attack next. Even if there's not agendas, they know that the, the unknown face down cards are now in HQ. That's where you need to go. So I, and then it also being zero tra to trash for an ability that is so niche. I, I fail to understand why. Zero, no, not only zero to trash, but two to res. I fail to understand how I go about making a slot in my deck for this kind of card. And it's only usable during a run. It makes it a very expensive. Yeah, it makes it a very expensive ability if you have to advance spending a click and a credit each time plus pay two to res. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's, that, that's like economic yeah. investment. Effectively, to get one card back from your archives um, that's only face down and. And this, and for an ability that can only be used during a run on archives, you've effectively invested and estimated five credits into that. Yeah. So the question Including, I would, so how do you calculate that just for our listeners' benefit? Uh, so it, for me, it's always you take the res cost, you take the credit for the advancement, and I know this is, this is not perfect in any way. This is just my personal way I do it. Is I assume every click every click is it worth is worth at least two credits. Um, of course that value goes up or down based on your deck and a whole bunch of other factors, but on average, a click seems to be worth a, around two credits. It could be more, could be less. Um, so that being said, if it's two to res, the credit for the advancement and then the click is worth two credits. I am basically paying five credits 
to return a face-down card from my archives to my hand when I, as HB, could just use archive memories. And I get that this card is used as a trashable, like, instant ability, but I think the weakness here is that I'm simply just shifting where the, the hidden information is. I'm not really resolving the problem, I don't think, in the way mm. I should. And what, one problem I have with it is the, aside from the combination of all the problems that you've identified, is that even if you want to use it in a remote, the, the fact that you can only use the ability during a run on archives means that bluffing this as an advanceable in a remote is basically useless as well. Right. Yeah. So that takes out pretty much the only way that I could see that you could rescue some value from this card, which is yeah. forcing the runner to run into a remote server. Yep. I mean, you still force them to get in, I suppose, and it's still advanceable, but then it's basically just a blank card because you're never actually planning on using it, really. Yeah. It's uh, just a blank card that says it can be advanced. I would like to point out also, like I think that a lot of people have discussed in the past, I know we've talked about it, is like unique res ratios on certain cards. I know not every card can be designed to be great. I know that you're going to have cards that just based on the fact that there's a lot of different options are weaker. To me... This is a clear example. Just, just to point this out in case we talk about it in a later episode in the future. I'm making the claim here. This is an example of a card where the effect is so weak, it would justify the six to trash cost or the seven or whatever the ridiculous X amount to trash cost is. Because for a card that's so expensive and so niche, it would make sense that this card it would be the kind that is very difficult to trash because it requires a very uh, large investment for a very weak ability. So there's no reason you should be able to get mm. rid of this card easily. Um, the card is already... Uh, yeah. yeah. The card's already bad, but a yeah, zero I trash is like... Uh, it's, it kills it completely. Not that we should use the political assets as a, um, a ruler for how we should measure all the other trash and res costs but the fact that sensi is zero to res and two to trash and this is two to res and zero to trash i think is pretty miserable right uh wilfie or ricky do you have any thoughts on this card nope i think we might move on the next card is synth dna modification uh, we'll come to the art shortly because wilfie wants to discuss that but <laughs> firstly it's a Jinteki asset two to res two to trash the first time a subroutine on a piece of ap ice is broken each turn do one net damage uh, Wilfie, you had a question about the art, I believe? Um, if we just want to talk about the like mechanics of the card first, I would say that uh, having sure. this card be right after Hollis talked about res to trash costs is pretty interesting, I think, just because there's a wide range of res to trash costs, some at which at which this card is playable with some of those and not with others. Like, it's sort of a bit of a narrow ability in the sense that for it to do something on a turn, your opponent has to run, they have to break your AP ice, and this card has to survive, of course, um, in when your opponent's encountering an ice. But in the decks that, like, we've seen potential unleashed decks especially, but in all Jinteki identities, sort of thousand cuts decks, um, this card could be good just because if you have a critical mass of AP cards, it's sort of... Uh, I was going to say it's sort of like Builder of Nations, but in asset form, like you can have multiple in play, and if you can protect them, it actually forms a game plan, I think. Or I guess maybe it's more like hostile infrastructure. 
in the sense that mm. it stops the runner from being able to interact with your board favorably. Um, this is a bit, this doesn't happen every time, so there's a bit of a cap on what this can do, but if it's happening multiple times in a game, it, I think, can add up fairly quickly. So it's really the res to trash cost that determines whether this card is playable. I think 2 to 2 is a bit lower than I would want. I mean, of course, you, you want it to be stronger, but in terms of playability in your deck, 2 for 2 is sort of like, if you res it, I always say if you res it once and leave it going for a turn, it's okay. If it, if you leave it for more than a turn, it suddenly becomes like, if you're, if the runner has to deal with it the turn that you res it, or they're gonna slowly, or slowly or quickly fall behind during a game, like if it's really hard for them to ignore it in this card, it's sort of like, it's not that hard for them to ignore, just because it deal, only deals them one damage when they break an, ice and even if they want to get it it's not that bad like it's only two to trash so i'm a bit skeptical even if the effect is powerful i think and how about as another piece in a broader hostile infrastructure oppressive negative player experience board yeah i think this has i I think you would have to play it like that but then i think you run into the deck slots issue that those decks really the purpose of your ice is to partially to advance your game plan in dealing the net damage but also you have to have some end the run ice to stop siphon um just because those decks usually run low on resources but i suppose if you can sort of mitigate siphon by having assets like this it might be okay to just play all ap ice and try and have the game go that way like or here's another thought mm-hmm. you could have ap ice that ends the run oh wow oh i see such as such the as, next yeah. card in the pack which i think we'll move on to because i think you've summed up synth dna modification very well um the next card is kukugo it's a four to res one strength jinteki barrier ap when the runner passes kukugo do one net damage subroutine end the run so, in combination with this, do you think synth DNA modification could enable those slightly more horizontal hostile infrastructure decks? Uh, yeah, I would say that these two cards do go well together in that this is an AP, an AP that you can play that um, allows you to still stop uh, dangerous run events. So, it is a bit... Yeah, like, actually, I think this card is fairly good. Like, you can say that it dies to Parasite, but I think now in the world of Sifa, it's not as relevant what the strength of your ice is. And 4 is a lot, that's true, but it's not so much that 4-cost ice can't be played even in low-resource horizontal decks. And um, I guess the comparison might be to Bailiff, but this is the sort of thing where there's actually support for it, like, if you were to build a horizontal deck, the ability to have an ice that deals them one net damage every time they want to get into that server, um, especially if you put it on HQ or R&D, is, can very, very quickly add up, I think. Mm. Hollis or Ricky, any thoughts on the Kakugo and SynthDNA modification package? And all the cards independently? Nope. No, I mean, hostile infrastructure decks, yeah, especially industrial genomics. 
probably love all this stuff. Uh, I guess decks like that in particular, their ice is not really that numerous or that hard to deal with in general. But the, the point of those is, is the asset spam and, and how crucial their assets are to them and how hard it is to get rid of them. But uh, if, it, if the combination of these two cards make it even harder to get into the central servers while you're doing that, you're kind of covering both bases. Uh, it's, it's rough. Uh, I think they're both pretty good. Police, any thoughts before we move on? Oh, no, please proceed. Uh, if not, great. Well, the next card will throw straight to you. It's a zero to res NBN asset, mm. three to trash, one influence. It's called Net Analytics. Whenever the runner avoids or removes one or more tags, you may draw one card. This is the Aaron Maron answer we have all been waiting for. Are you going to be <laughs> slotting three of this in all your decks? Oh, man. At, at, what NBN cards, like, you can just slot them anywhere. Just They're super low influence. They almost always cost nothing. It's, it's wow. <laughs> Hollis? E- even if I don't think the card is, like, amazing... At least the res to trash ratio is appropriate for a card that I don't yeah. think is amazing. <laughs> like that—that's the—that's yeah. that's the real man. That's the really annoying thing. Is that like I know that we can't see into the future to know what's coming, but it's knowing the current meta and knowing the cards that are out and how. Like even with like the bad cards or not great cards in NBN, like the res costs can be a pro- like it's just I don't know it. it the runner still wins, right? They runner still draws two cards, and you get to draw one. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I made, I made fun of the effect a little bit there, but in all seriousness, if you, while we still have mid seasons before rotation, is there a role for this in enabling the corp to get some resource advantage after they mid season? I don't know. I, I feel like cards this narrow are pretty impossible to get into corp decks, but can you see any way that this could? The way I see this card is it's not super powerful in that the effect is kind of narrow, but I think it does have a place in the especially CTM decks that want to sort of move towards more towards Data Raven um, and trying to overwhelm Aaron. Like, I know that's really... Whether those decks are still good is of su- is a little contentious, but I think that if so, this card can be very important, especially if people move to using Aaron as their only tag protection tools. Like, if people mm. don't have... And like, especially as Link sort of recedes a little bit from the meta again, something like this can, I think, be a good addition, maybe replacing some of your other economic assets like Pad Campaign, um, in the sense that when you're hard hitting use them if you're not expecting to face uh networking or link or anything like that this gives you still some benefit if your opponent has Aaron against your hard hitting use and it's, yeah especially if you're going to go back to turnpike or data raven in your CDM decks this gives you constant adva- uh card flow over the course of the game in those tag storm decks and and as you guys said, the res to trash ratio is actually so good that, especially in CTM, that I can easily see multiples um, stacking up well in a, you know, in your board state. The only question is how beneficial is it to draw like a lot of cards at once? And I would say that 
in the way CDM decks are built now, usually quite good just because you have lots of assets that generate advantage when they're put on the board and you it's usually fairly easy for you to get cards out of your hand. Like I would be worried about playing it in something like um a Nerath Hub deck where it's might might be a bit easier for you to get flooded with cards even if you do mid season them and but I would say in the CDM decks the way they're built now, I could easily see this being played. So in a deck where you're trying to overwhelm the runner with threats, something that gives you more threats is useful. Yeah, exactly. Cool. The next card in the pack is Sink Bree. This is a very controversial card, uh, thanks to the way that it's printed pretty much killing the runner. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's a Sentry Tracer, 4 to res, 6 strength. First trace is trace 4. If successful, give the runner 1 tag. Second subroutine is trace 2. If successful, the runner accesses 1 fewer cards whenever he or she accesses cards. Full stop. Uh, I think it's been errated to say until the end of the turn, or the end of the run or something. Words which are nowhere near the card. It's end of the but run. End of the run. Okay. Or end of cool. the... Cool. Yep. So... End of the... Yeah, end of the run. Yeah, cool. So it's been errated to be till the end of the run. Uh, we'll discuss it as it is that rather than um, as it appears to be. So Hollis, do you think stopping the runner from accessing or making the runner access one fewer cards is a powerful effect? And do you think a trace two subroutine is strong enough? So there's actually a really annoying card that is... There's a really annoying old card. I think it came uh, somewhere around uh, the same pack as like whatever Accelerated Diagnostics is in. And it's a, it's a Barroid Ice called Hudson 1.0. You guys remember that card? Mm-hmm. So Hudson 1.0 said the runner cannot access more than one card, right? And so that mm. was actually kind of annoying because it meant at that time when, the, when, that, when Hudson 1.0 first hit, um, you know, every deck, and I mean still to this day, every deck pretty much worried about uh, medium digging, um, using R&D interface or using the maker's eye, stuff like that, legwork. So looking at multiple cards. Now, Hudson wasn't, Hudson was kind of pan largely because it's, it's a borrowed 1.0. And so it's not super difficult to get past it just by spending clicks, but it was appropriately costed at three, five, three to res five string. Now I feel like I, you know, compared to Hudson, I feel like, uh, sync breeze actually even better than this because the tag of a trace four is pretty darn good. I think that in general, most runners would be willing to pay basically basically three to four credits to avoid the tag outright, as opposed to actually paying to remove it later. Um, so when I tie in a tax of three to four credits on top of a tax of one to two credits to make sure, you know, they just to ensure they can access even one card, I feel like this card is appropriately costed and actually probably probably quite good. Um, I don't know if, if everyone shares my opinion on this, but in general, it seems like a fairly good, it seems like a fairly good balance, the ability to pay four credits for a card that can potentially cost the runner also four to five credits or more. Um, mm. I, I really like that. Uh, very often with ice in this game, you don't really get that same sort of value. Sometimes it's very common that, um, the ice is at the threshold, like in the case of like itchy one where the ice is at a threshold where, or itchy one should be very taxing, but now 
if they have the appropriate resources, they're going to lower the strength by one. It's a mimic range. Now they have a link, so they're going to ignore the trace, and they just pay the two. A trace of six pretty much means this card has to be utilized, or cipher has to be utilized with this card to get it down to like as cheap as possible. And if they just take the traces, that puts them in a really weird spot where now on the corpse side, you can choose to invest even further. So basically, it's, it's, it will end up being a credit for credit. This is what I want you to pay to access one card. Or, you know, for your medium, um, uh, for your medium to access, you know, uh, you know, the two cards as opposed to just the one with, with the uh, virus counters. I actually like this very much. Um, and in general, any ice that I feel like, you know, I, I know Aaron Moran is, is in a lot of decks now, but I feel like any, 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 um, decks that would normally try to avoid getting tagged, putting the threshold here, allows for some very interesting play like if, if obviously if the, if the threshold's too high the runner rationalizes taking the tag if the threshold is too low then they just pay the trace and four it to me feels so sweet because there's still a value for just paying out right but it's still a big tempo hit i, I love it all right here's my question for you hollis i'm ready can you ever justify playing this over a data raven no like it, no. <laughs> so for the same for the same res cost, you're gonna be much less likely to get the first tag. Right. You haven't got the the subroutine from Data Raven, and instead you've got a weaker trace that has an effect that maybe is a little better. But I would argue is how many times do you get your Data Raven trace off in a game? Not very many, unless the runner's happy for you to have it. Right. And the same is going to go for this. Like landing a trace two for an effect that's really just incidental. It's not something that's going to impact the results of the game, probably. You're unlikely to see the corp investing a lot of resources in that just because of the way the resource structure of the game is. The corp resources are probably a little scarcer. But also over the course of a game, if you are investing your corp resources in a subroutine like this, you're probably putting yourself behind the game. I don't know. I, I can't really see this ever being played over Data Raven. What do you thought, Hollis Wolfie, Ricky? Agreed. Data Raven is probably better in this case. Wolfie? Um, Any thoughts? Yeah, I will just say that as far as I know, the second ability is actually impactful. Like, most of the time, it's just an end of the run if they're only seeing one card, right? Is that how it works? Yeah. 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 Um... Like, but they only have to, if they're a one link runner, they only have to pay one credit to avoid well, it. Well, sure, sure, sure. Like, it has, it's, I think, worse than end the run, but not much worse. I think it's more, yeah, as you said, I think the comparison to Data Raven is apt. I see it as being a big turnpike in the sense that they probably take a tag and they have to pay a little bit to deal with the trace, but the strength of turnpike is that it costs two and when you run in, even when you have your breaker, it still costs as much for the corp to, for the runner to get through as for the corp to res it. And so, if you compare this to Turnpike, I think it falls quite flat. And even so, if you compare it to Data Raven, which costs more but has much more impactful abilities. Cool. The next card in the pack is probably one that people have been looking forward to for quite a while it's jemison astronautics it's a wayland identity the subtitle is sacrifice audacity success possibly the precursor to some cards that are yet to come out but we'll see 
Uh, it's 4515, it's an identity corporation. Whenever you forfeit an agenda, place one advancement token on a card and one additional token for each agenda point the agenda was worth. This is playing into the Wayland Let's Forfeit Agendas uh, sub-theme. We might discuss it in concert with the two cards that follow it, which are Quarantine System, and a one to res Wayland asset with three trash cost. It's got an ability, forfeit an agenda, res up to three pieces of ice, lowering the cost of each by two for each printed agenda point on the forfeited agenda. And Oberth Protocol, a two to res Wayland upgrade with two to trash as an additional cost to res Oberth Protocol, forfeit an agenda. The first time you advance a card in or protecting this server each turn, place an additional advancement token on it. I might start off with these. Um, I've been testing out a couple of different builds with Jemison, and aside from the age-old problem that I have with these sorts of Wayland decks where you really only have hostile takeover and that impacts on your ability to defend your servers in the long term because of the bad publicity, taking the abilities of, the, of Jemison and Oberth Protocol in particular as they are, I think they're extremely powerful. And once we do have Standoff, which is the two for zero Wayland Agenda that's coming out shortly, they will be, that will fit really nicely into this strategy and it will enable both resing of Oberth and triggering of Jemison with less of a ongoing detriment to your game plan than what Hostile Takeover offers. You also have public support. I've been trying that out. Yes, it is pretty challenging to trigger a public support um, in the in the current environment, but having must trash assets in your deck that are reasonably pricey to trash, such as public support, also helps enable Brian Stinson and make it more likely that you're going to be able to trigger him. So I think there's definitely some synergy there in terms of overall game plan and having a, a Wayland strategy that presents threats that tax the runner to the extent that you can trigger your Brian and then get over the top of them economically. Uh, taking these cards individually, uh, Jemison, the ability is not an economic ability, which is the first thing to note. So you have to find a way to run your deck economy without your ID contributing, contributing anything. And that is in the faction that probably has the weakest economy at the moment. So that's the most challenging aspect of playing this ID. The ability itself is powerful enough and it helps you, it pushes you um, forward in, in winning the game well enough that it's worth considering and it's a powerful identity. The issue is, can you craft an economy that supports that strategy well enough? And at the moment, I think you probably just can, uh, particularly if you can incorporate Brian Stinson into it, as I, as I said earlier. But there are going to be some games where that just doesn't come off. And in those games, does the, does the economy of the deck fall flat? Maybe it's, I found it's just a little um, under the curve of where you'd like to be economically without being catastrophic if you can't trigger Brian. So I think it's probably okay. Uh, the second um, card in Quarantine System, I haven't really tinkered around with much just because I find pre-resing ice to not be a particularly powerful ability. I think laying your cards down on the table and foregoing what is one of the corpse greatest strengths in this game, which is hidden information, just for a little bit of economic advantage is difficult. And when you couple that with the fact that you must forfeit agendas to get anything out of it, I don't think Quarantine System is really where you want to be going with this sort of deck at the moment, particularly without um, standoff being available. And Oberth Protocol is basically a Sansan City Grid that's a little more flexible. 
um, in some ways and a little less flexible in others. So when it's coupled with Jemison, you're guaranteed to get some advancements from Jemison that you can either place on the card in the server that, or the presumably an agenda that you're trying to score or on um, a piece of ice protecting the server. That's with the Jemison counters. And then you also get the trigger off Oberth the first time you then advance that card uh, after the Oberth is resed you get an additional advancement token, which can help you accelerate your scoring by one click, essentially, uh, similar to what Sansan does. So it's a very powerful effect. The res cost is a lot lower than Sansan in credits and the trash cost is also lower, which is a downside. Um, but yeah, the fact that the res cost is two as opposed to six means that it's a little more flexible um, in terms of when you can res it without damaging your economy. Um, and the effect, the fact that the effect, effect, effect effectively stacks with Jamison, if you do want to go for a larger agenda, um, you can chain your two points into three point agendas. And even sometimes you can chain your two pointers into vanity projects if you structure it well enough to four points. So essentially jumping from two to four. Um, you can also score two pointers from hand with this, uh, one, assuming the Oberth is left for a turn. So yeah, I think it's a it's a decent package. It's something that Wayland has been waiting for for a long time, uh, and it's an effect that will boost the faction in general in terms of its ability to accelerate threats and offer uh, threaten to win the game uh, with agendas from hand, forcing the runner to actually run your servers. Now what we need is some other ways through standoff to trigger these abilities, but also probably some better ice and hopefully. Um, I don't know, some more economy at some point in the future. But at the moment, as the card pool stands, I think that it's playable, if not incredible. Wilfie Hollis, Ricky, any thoughts? I like it. Yeah, yeah. Hollis said it good. Um, said it well, anyway. It's, uh, Oberth. Oberth is crazy, I think. Uh, like you said, it's it's almost like a cheaper Sansan, less res cost. Uh, or, sorry, uh, yeah, less res cost, less trash. But um, with friends in high places now, you can get these back relatively easily, easily, um, and, and the ability of the new ID kind of just stacks with this as well. Um, but even if you aren't using the new ID, you could probably play this in in, in something like Agarin, Um or just to kind of get these these uh, agendas out of your hand, and, and they work well with uh, the advanceable agendas that give you be- uh, additional profit, like Hollywood renovation and, and stuff like that. Um, it's I think it's crazy. Um, Luckily, it's unique, so you don't have to... Well, no, you'd only use one at a time, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Worth, worth clarifying, too, that with the uh, the public agendas, you don't get the trigger for the Oberth placements oh. because it's placing advancement counters rather than um, advancing. Oh, yeah, that's a good yeah, point. Because of that distinction. But it's still useful. It's still good with them because uh, mm-hmm. it can enable you to score Oaktowns from hand, for example. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much defrays the cost of raising the Oberth. But yeah, you don't get that additional trigger. That's a good clarification. Wilfie, any thoughts? Um, on the, the three cards in general? On the package. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, I think the main thing that I see about it is that like Oberth and Jamison... Jemison, sorry. Oberth and Jemison especially synergize very well in allowing you to end the game quickly by giving you tools to fast advance even when your server isn't secure. Um, which usually, but not always, means that 
you can build a deck that tries to rush out the first agenda early and then score seven without necessarily investing as many resources into building a very big remote as you would otherwise have to if you didn't have fast advanced tools. But the big issue with that, I think, is that forfeiting points to do so means that the number of resources you need to end the game in that way increases really drastically if you don't have agendas that benefit you in ways other than the points that they're worth. So for example, as you mentioned, Hostile Takeover is very important in those kind of decks and has been consistently very important for um, the history of Wayland, really, in enabling that sort of strategy, just because it gives you an economic boost to score your next agenda, but I think without more cards like Hostile Takeover, it's going to be really hard to build an agenda suite that actually takes advantage of Jemison, um, in the sense that if you want to utilize its fast advance ability, you're going to have to give up a lot, a really significant amount in terms of resources invested in agendas scored, and so you, in order to win with a Jemison deck, I feel like you will have to have really worked to get to seven points. Cool. Um, what do you uh, guys agree with that? Yeah. And quarantine system, I think, is a um, strong card, but sort of doesn't really help that strategy so much. Yeah. I think that the strength of Jamison may be a little hidden in the sense that you do have to slow the game down in some ways to win with Jamison in that you're forfeiting agendas you've already scored. So it's a little more of a, a slow, hard slog than traditional fast advance. But if you're upgrading a one-pointer to a three-pointer or a two-pointer to a four-pointer, you're still effectively scoring two points with that fast advance turn. Um, or the never advanced turn in the case of Vanity Project sometimes. Um, you're also removing additional points from the game, and that can be a boon to the corp in that um, your Vanity Project that you have scored is not just four points, it's four points plus the two from the Atlas or Oaktown that you already forfeited. Um, so it's actually six points that are out of the game that the runner can't steal um, for you to be at four. And in some ways that's worse for the corp because it may be harder for you to then find the remaining three points you need to win the game. But it's also a negative for the runner because your, your deck is um, more diluted and there, there's less agendas in there. Uh, it's less agenda dense. So that incidental benefit of Jamison I think is interesting and worth exploring. Um, but yeah, in general, the fact that a lot of the time you're going to be slightly slower than an HB or NBN fast advance strategy because you're sort of forfeiting agendas along the way and there's a little more setup with Jamison means that scoring your hostels early, which you need to do, and the bad publicity that they give you, uh, while, while the economy and the economic, economic boost of hostel is necessary to fuel this sort of deck, as well as, of course, the point is necessary to fuel Jamison and Obeth, um, the bad pub can come back to haunt you a little more because you're slowing the game down. So that's the reason I think success will be important because it gives you that economic boost 
uh, sorry, not success standoff. It gives you that economic boost uh, while also giving you the fodder to forfeit to Jamison and Oberth without giving you the bad pub. Does that make sense, Wolfie? I, I agree. Cool. Um, on that note, uh, yeah, listeners, feel free to chime in with your thoughts on these cards. I'm sure that lots of people are trying out lots of different things with Jamison. I haven't tried out a kill strategy with it yet. I've just been trying a purely fast advance, let's score things out approach. But there's definitely scope for, for trying to kill people out of it. And if you've had some success doing that, then please do let us know. If you've had some sacrifice or audacity doing that, you can also let us know as well. Uh, Condi Plaza is the next card in the pack. It's a ritzy upgrade. Three to res, two to trash. Certainly pricey. It gives you X recurring credits. Use these credits to res ice protecting this server. X is the number of remote servers. Uh-oh, asset spam alert. Hollis, what do you think? Yay, asset spam. So, um, so this is interesting. I, I, <clears throat> I don't know how many of you guys have been messing with uh, like the IG builds uh, over the past like maybe six months or so, but they have this sort of unique issue where you you want to have you want to you want to have money to res the few pieces of ice that you have, um, and some sometimes you know it's going to be like these very low cost ice, like so it's going to be vanillas and enigmas and stuff like that. But I've seen other variants where people are trying to run things like uh, Kama Inu and uh, maybe even cards like uh, Surugi. So that uh, they'll have something that's a bit more taxing, that's a bit more annoying to get through. Um, Condi Plaza, really, the the biggest like advantage of it to me is the fact that it's an upgrade. So um, it's very good to just throw it on a central, and as you build horizontally, um, just have this pool of credits that you can keep using to res uh, to res ice with. But it, it has a weird threshold because the res cost of the card itself is three, so. Given the fact that you're going to spend an action to play the card, it feels like to really, really to get a benefit from it, you you've got to be able to at least get the you know initial number of credits for it, um, above three, and then actually get to use it before it's too late. Like if if I install this and I only have like three cards installed in remote servers, and this is installed on my central, then I'm I don't. I can't really justify the, the inclusion of this card, right? Because I can already run a card like Pad Campaign or something like that. When I start looking at, uh, when I start looking at, okay, now I have more than three. Let's say I have five cards, you know, total remote servers. Now the question is, if I install this card, can I'm actually going to be able to use all five credits on it before the runner comes in and trash it? Like if I'm running Vanillas and Enigmas. I'm still not getting great value here. I'm kind of just... But presumably you are running the Kamainu and Sarugis if you're running this card. Right. So it's likely that you're going to be able to use it. I mean, the issue yeah. to me seems more the fact that you can only use this reactively. So only if the runner is running your servers means that you're, you're not in control of whether you can use the recurring credits every turn. Um, and the question then becomes, is uh, Mumba Temple and Diversified Portfolio better economy cards because Diversified Portfolio effectively gives you this benefit yeah. Um, yeah. at some point later in the game rather than perhaps earlier on when you need it with this. So yeah. that there's a trade-off yeah. there. This may be better in some situations, maybe worse in others. Um, and Mumba Temple is more flexible but is an asset. But in your asset spam deck, you probably don't mind about it being an asset. That may in yeah. fact be an advantage. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that what this card tries to do, and I, I don't know if we've, I think we may have talked about this uh, away from the cast maybe a few days ago, 
but it feels like this is the more balanced or more fair Mumba Temple in a mm. weird way. So where where yeah. you know you're getting these credits to res a card, but it's a very focused kind of card. It's not just a universal amount of credits with an amazing uh, res to trash ratio. Um, which of course means that you know when you the fact that Moomba Temple exists means this card immediately gets worse. The fact that um, Pad seems really good, Pad is already good, and the fact that like uh, oh my goodness, she just said the card Diversified Portfolio is pretty good in the, in those decks as well, and it's very bursty. I think it makes this card a very difficult inclusion. Um, I think in most mm. cases, even if you were running you know ice that costs five, the question would be is the burst that you're going to get for resing that one piece of ice um, really going to be worth it? Asset spam decks are usually very ice light. And so as a result, right. not only is that – the difficulty there is that you're trying to have a card like this that encourages you to, encourages you to play in the horizontal way, but it's not really going to normally be using the decks that have a lot of ice. And I can't really – I don't think it's a really good balance to that as a result. It, mm, it's kind of like internal tension there sorry ricky you go oh no no absolutely uh it's kind of like what i was saying earlier exactly like asset spam decks usually focus more on the assets and then the ice is super light on the centrals um but with a new inclusion zone in this pack in particular especially the jinteki cards um it, it almost seems like the trade-off isn't good enough especially compared to M- moma temple um and, and then you kind of have to consider what am I trading my ice for? Because usually they're like Carlos said, they're they're vanilla, they're they're l- low cost res to ice. Um, and then is this really worth it to kind of make that cost cheaper? Because it's three, and also consider that they're running this server. So once once they get there, they can trash this thing. And then the you know at least with Mumba Temple, they have to make another run and get rid of that um, mm-hmm. before things start to, to, to get worse for them, but um, it, they're going to res something here for possibly cheaper, and then once they get to the end of the server, they have the chance to trash this thing, and so it, the benefits cease there. So it, it, it kind of seems a little... It, it, seems, it definitely seems worse than Moment Temple to me. The last card in the pack is Signal Jamming. It's a zero to res, two to trash, neutral upgrade. Two neutral upgrades in the pack. Wowee. Uh, mm. Trash at instant speed. Cards cannot be installed until the end of the run. Use this ability only during a run on this server. Ricky, Ooh. shutting down clone chips and SMCs, is, <laughs> is that enough for, for a card to do? Are you happy with that? Um, so I, I'm not going to lie. When I saw this card for the first time, I thought of our boy Hollis here. Hollis, mm. how many times have we played a game and you installed something, I don't know, it's a virus, it's green, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it's trashing ice, there's a lot of trash stuff going on right now, especially with Parasite and Cipher. Um, initial reaction to me seems like, holy cow. So, okay, self-modifying code is turned off by this, right? So they can go fetch for something during the run, although they can prepare for it before um, by installing what they need and then making the run. Um, but... To me, it seems kind of awesome. Uh, Hollis, what, do you, what did you think when you, when you saw this? Because I, I thought of all those games where you trashed my eyes and I couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that, I think that, you know, it's obviously going to be more relevant now in the current meta because Cypher is absolutely everywhere. I mean, you have, you have 
criminal decks. I, I've seen criminal decks running Cipher. I've seen Shaper and obviously Anarch decks running Cipher. And it's just because the mere strength of being able to take any like horrendous piece of ice that you just you do not want to encounter, moving the strength to zero and making it a very efficient break is super powerful. Um, while that is the case, it's also really weird um, this ability because it, it's it seems to obviously be targeting things that are going to be installed mid run. Like that's that is what's happening, and so. In the current meta, though, the cards that are being installed mid-run are basically Parasite. So the question I'm asking myself is, do I want to include this card for Parasite? Now, of course, it hits like Paperclip and uh, uh, MK uh, Ultra. Ultra. Yeah, MK Ultra, Mark Ultra. Black Orchestra. Absolutely. But I, I, I don't know if... I think what, what ruins it for me on this card is it specifies on you know for the server like i wish i could play this on a server on any server and it's sort of a universal effect similar to like blacklist um so i I think that's my issue the res cost the res to trash cost is fine but then again so is it on blacklist and Mm. i can put blacklist you probably couldn't like it'd be pretty hard to have signal jamming that covers all your servers though like your servers could be everywhere around the world it sort of needs to be confined to one server to be flavorful don't you think perhaps yeah um but then again no sorry that- <laughs> no, no, you know, no, I mean, like I, I i see the flavor aspect of it i'm sure wolfie will elaborate in great detail about the flavor aspect of the card also but um it's also a matter of just knowing that in the uh it feels like i res i I res this and I trash it. So this only is affected as like a one-time use. So mm. it's only good when it's like, I don't know, the last run or... Or, or if know. you can make them encounter something with Cypher. Like if their plan is, I'm going to Cypher Parasite your ice and I never have to worry about it and I'm relying on that and then you signal jamming them and make them face plan into something, that could be quite important. Right, it feels like most of the time. Oh, yeah, it feels like most of the time because you know runners are are runners, right? Um, cards like Faust and just in general, just standard breakers. It's just going to tax them more, which sometimes is the right tempo hit, right? Like it's not always about making sure that every run is ended or that it completely decimates the board. Sometimes just saying, well, now you have to trash four cards with Faust is good yep. enough. Um, mm-hmm. and so. If that's the certainly point something card, that can yeah. interact with Cypher is important, right? Yeah, yeah, I, if, I do. If think your so. corp deck is full of ice and things to install in servers and economy cards, when they play Cypher and go to Parasite stuff, you're just sort of like, all right, well, I just have to ride this wave and then get to a point where they run out of parasites and I can, you know, re-establish my servers again with friends in high places or whatever. Whereas this gives you a way to actually interact during that period where their Cypher Parasite is online, and I think that's pretty important for corp. Right. I I don't know about you guys, but I think I don't know main server I would put this on is what R and D for 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 that particular purpose, right? So, um, they're they're attacking R and D with medium and whatnot, and, and you're already playing in R- mostly Anarch that's installing parasites that have brought things down with Cipher or Cipher or Cipher. Um, uh, yeah, I can I can absolutely see the the fact that it's it's this is useful in a particular part of the game. Uh, not just the early part, because you're, it's, you have to establish a server that's worth trashing ice on already. Um, but yeah, 
it's I think there's a couple of other aspects that you need to look at this before considering uh, some other plays there. Cool. Well, that brings us to the end of our pack review for Daedalus Complex. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. We'll be back next week. Uh, we're not sure exactly what it will be with, with the pace of spoilers at the moment. It could be a full Terminal Directive spoiler for all we know. Oh, God, uh, I hope but, so. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be exciting? We're all certainly looking forward to playing with the Terminal Directive cards. It seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. But in the meantime, we hope you have enjoyed this pack discussion. We're enjoying diving into the, the Red Sand cycle. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us before our next episode, uh, you can email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at winningagenda. You can check us out on uh, Facebook at The Winning Agenda. And if you want to support us uh, through Patreon and throw a few dollars our way, you can head to www.patreon.com slash thewinningagenda. And shout out to all our wonderful existing Patreon supporters. We very much appreciate your support and hope you're enjoying the content. Uh, thanks for for listening and we'll see you next time see you guys thank you thanks for listening bye